Today on Stick to Football, it is Mock Draft Monday time. Connor and I are going to rip through the entire first round of the 2020 NFL Draft. But we have to talk about our guy Tua and the injury that happened to him on Saturday. That is the big news of the weekend as it affects the draft. So we're going to dive in deep on Tua, what his future is, what this does to the draft class. But first, a couple reminders. This Saturday, November 22nd, we will be at the Stanford Cal game tailgating right there on the Grove. We've tweeted out the map if you want to find it right off uh, El Camino Real. Easy, easy spot to find. We'll have a huge tent. Mello Connor and I will be there recording the podcast, having fun like we always do. And then December 7th, we will be at the SEC Championship game right outside the Mercedes-Benz Superdome. Johnsonville's tailgate throwdown. They're going to have like cooking competitions, cornhole tournaments. Connor, it's going to be a great time. I'm very excited for what might be the last two tailgate stops of the year. It's going to be awesome. Obviously, we haven't been to Stanford yet, so really excited for our West Coast swing of the year. Seems like we have a really good setup out there, Matt, as well, when I was looking at the tailgate guy's map for that one. So that's going to be awesome. And then when you look at the SEC championship, if you're down south, if you're anywhere near the Atlanta area, I don't think you'll want to miss this because we have an awesome guest lined up in Sean Alexander. There's going to be some crazy cook-off that uh, I think Mello is officially going to be judging it and a lot of other people, professional (laughs) cornhole players. It's just going to be absolute madness with Johnsonville. So we're really excited for that. But speaking of the SEC, uh, the championship game, the cook-off, that stuff's all fun. What wasn't fun was this weekend when Tua Tungavailoa gets injured again, but this time in the most serious fashion uh, with a significant hip injury. Matt, let's just start with the latest here and the situation for him, what is the latest out of the people you've talked to of the impact of this significant injury? Yeah, I will say, I mean, it's, it's gut wrenching. I was at another game as were you this weekend. And so you get the alert and you watch the video and you're just, your heart sinks a little bit and you want to, like I've said with the Jalen Smith injury, you, you want to throw up because you feel so badly for the player. So with Tua, I will say this, he has a very small, insular circle of people. So this isn't like, you know, of another player were to get hurt. Um, It's easy to sometimes you have a direct line to the player, to the parents, to an agent, to the school. Two is a little different. And I think that's a good thing for him. Today, he's having surgery in Houston. Monday, he's having surgery in Houston to try to repair, you know, the hip dislocation, the fracture of the, the outside wall of his hip. It's bad. And what I was told Sunday night was no one knows yet how bad. It could be he'll never play football again, or it could be, you know, he could be playing late 2020. So everyone is kind of on a wait and see until he gets out of the surgery. I know they came out and said over the weekend, we expect a full recovery. I was told, like, don't necessarily believe that because they really have to get in and see how bad the damage was as far as the surgery goes. Now, as far as the 2020 NFL draft, where is the mindset? Uh, The family has been talking like, okay, there's no reason for him to go back to Alabama at this point, basically. Uh, They did have an insurance policy, I'm told. So if he falls in the draft, and it would be expected that he would, he can recoup some of that money. You know, with Jalen Smith, it was if he falls to the second round, he's going to get a couple million dollars because of these insurance policies. I'm told Tua did have one. So it does not benefit him to go back to Alabama because he would forfeit that insurance money. So really, this is set up for him to declare for the draft, to rehab probably at Alabama over the next couple months, declare for the draft. He's obviously not going to be able to do the combine. He's not going to be able to do a pro day. But I think the belief is that 
he could then get drafted like a Jalen Smith, rehab with a team. He's going to be able to collect that insurance money if he falls far enough in the draft. So it, it's really it's a tough situation, but there were some safeguards in place. So I, I, I tweeted this over the weekend. It's like, I don't want to speculate until I can talk to people, and I'm not going to speculate about when he's going to be able to play again. But I will tell you, the belief at Alabama right now is that he will still enter the 2020 draft. Now, where he gets picked is open to a lot of interpretation because we got to see the severity of the injury. And I'll tell you, and Connor, you've been doing this a little bit of time as well. You know, every team is going to have a different opinion based on what their Always. doctor tells them. And I've been in, in meetings with, with GMs and asking them about players. And they'd say, I don't know. It, it depends on what our doctor tells us. I, it, Jalen Smith and I had a really good relationship. And there were a lot of teams I called on for him and his agent saying, where, where is he going to get picked? And they'd say, that's not up to me. It's up to the doctor. Like, we have a talent grade on this guy, but the injury grade is such and such. And there weren't many teams that were willing to draft him. With Tua, we could be looking at a similar situation, but I think it's irresponsible. If you hear anyone get on TV, podcast, Twitter, and say, this does X to Tua's draft stock, no one knows that right now. So I don't even think we should play that game of, oh, he's going to fall five spots, or he's going to go undrafted, or it's all just speculation at this point. There's not enough information to make a, a really good, educated guess. Yeah, I mean, he could still go in the top three. He could fall out of the first round. That's the kind of spectrum you're dealing with here. Now, what I will say is, Matt, for Tua, and obviously, you know, we're hoping that he does make a full recovery because you and I have both had both believed for a while that he was the best quarterback in this class. And just that injuries are really the only concern. Talent, character, leadership, all those things. Yeah. Uh, he was an A-plus in all of them. Truly, truly was and, and truly still is. That's the most important thing to note here. And that, listen, this could end up a situation where one team ends up becoming extremely fortunate. And it's it's awful to see that Tua might slide, but it might end up being a great thing for another team if he does, if he does make that full recovery. So it does change the draft, and this is a draft podcast. It, it is It has always been and always will be. That's the most important thing, and we do at some point need to discuss the trickle effect of this because you have a team like the Bengals expected to pick first overall. You have the Dolphins that are dead set on looking for a quarterback. You have a lot of teams that are looking for a quarterback getting away from the component of just, hey, Tua might not be a number one or number two overall pick anymore. We don't know. Yeah. What is the now the pivot for those teams if they have to make one? Well, you hate to, to phrase it this way, but I don't know any other way to phrase it. This is good news for Justin Herbert. Uh, because totally. we've seen this before. It's going to push him up. Where And I, we've been talking about Justin Herbert for a couple of weeks and telling you like we might not love him, but there's a lot of like out there for him as a top 10 pick. This could get Justin Herbert within the top five picks, just depending on what teams do. But this has a massive ripple effect on not so much the Cincinnati Bengals right now would have the number one pick. I assume they would draft Justin Herbert. Ryan Finley looked bad again on Sunday. It seems like they would take the local guy and Joe Burrow and move on. But where this gets interesting is, you know, the Miami Dolphins have actually been winning a couple games. They're going to be picking at four. And we're going to discuss this in our mock draft Monday. But, you know, so for the Dolphins, if you and the rumor was that they had like zeroed in on Tua, this could completely change your strategy of what is your, what is our quarterback moving forward? If you're the Bucks and you're still not sure what you're doing with Jameis Winston, the quarterback availability, the market, just got a lot weaker because one guy who was going to be a top three or four pick is now off that market. So if you're Tampa, if you're Tennessee, if you're the Chargers and we're thinking about a future after Phillip Rivers, who's a free agent, the New Orleans Saints, Teddy Bridgewater, Andrew Brees are free agents. And there's a lot of teams out there that, 
either have a dire need at quarterback, like right now they need a 2020 guy, or the teams that wanted to start drafting ahead. I think, I mean, Justin Herbert's going to get pushed up. We could see Jacob Eason get pushed up. Jordan Love, who has had a bad year at Utah State, but is a traits guy, could get pushed back up. Jake Fromm, who has not been super productive at Georgia, but has been good. His name could get floated back into this situation. I've had family members start reaching out about quarterbacks that I would have never thought were going to enter the 2020 draft. Now they're reaching out being like, hey, what should we do? because of this situation. And I'm telling everybody the same thing. We have to wait and see, but I can tell you four days ago, I didn't think your son should enter the NFL draft. So I don't know that he should now. Like if you're a late rounder, this isn't going to automatically push you up into the second round or anything, but there is going to be a reshuffling until much more is known about Tua. And unfortunately it's going to be a while. I think, I mean, some clarity will come out post-surgery, but for the most part with these things, you're going to have to wait and see you know, a couple months down the road, where is he at in terms of his rehab? I think the one guy for me that the decision-making might change or should change, it's not someone like Jalen Hurts, even though obviously he's in this class, but it's not Sam Ellinger. It's Jake Fromm for me. Yep. I think Jake Fromm is the quarterback that can enter this draft, and the conversation around Jake Fromm has been, hey, probably second-round just lacks the physical traits, but he's a smart guy that can win you football games. I think Jake Fromm is the guy that can see the jump into the back end of round one because of this in the long run. Yeah, I mean, like I said, the Saints are sitting right there. They're going to have a a late round one pick, depending on what happens in the playoffs. And they could, even if they bring back Teddy, they could be thinking about a quarterback of the future, Jake Fromm. So this is a good opportunity. And and as you know, one of my favorite sayings is quarterback scouting often starts in January because it's so much the mental, the leadership, the interviews, all the off field. Jake Fromm's going to, he's going to nail all that. So if he can convince a team that his lack of arm strength and physical tools isn't a massive liability and man, the NFL watching games yesterday, arm strength is still like, it's nice to have, but. I'll tell you, it is not a huge need because so many of these teams, like the ball is just coming out quick and it's going horizontal. So uh, Jake Fromm might fit in better in the NFL than we've been giving him credit for. It is Mock Draft Monday time. The Cincinnati Bengals remain winless, so they are on the clock. Connor Rogers, you are a general manager. Take it away, buddy. Well, thanks for giving me the first overall pick here, Matt, because this is the easiest one I'll have to make today. The Bengals, they're probably taking Joe Burrow first overall here. Anything else would really surprise me. I just think, listen, Are there questions about Joe Burrow still? Of course. He's not perfect. He's not Andrew Luck. But for this Cincinnati team to get in a a former Ohio, you know, a face of the state kind of player, a guy that's absolutely tore up the college football world this year, they need a new face of the franchise for Zach Taylor. This pick will be Joe Burrow. 0-10 the Bengals are. It's shocking. I don't know if they'll win a game. I really don't either. I don't know. Again, not by design. They're just this bad. I don't think they want to anymore. (laughs) <laughs> with Ryan Finley right, out there. At this point, you're just like, ah, fuck it. Like, let's just lose. Number two, the Washington Redskins. Ugh, they are bad. Uh, we see Dwayne Haskins pleading to his offensive line to block for him. They can't. I felt bad for him, man. I actually do, too. Uh, I liked him a decent amount, and it just seems like an awful situation for him. So, uh, They drop everything. They don't yep. block. He's tr- He's trying to learn while getting hit and having to deal with drops on his actual good throws. It's tough. Yeah, out there. And if Tua were healthy, we might talk about him here, but he's not. So Washington hopefully does the smart thing. And I will say their drafts are pretty much chalk. They go with best player available. 
it's Chase Young, and there's really no other conversation. I know they drafted Montez Sweat high last year. I know they have Ryan Kerrigan. Neither of those guys matter in this situation because Chase Young is that good of a prospect. He is hands down the best player in the 2020 draft. So if he's here, team, if they're going to stick by their quarterback, you have to take Chase Young. Having too many pass rushers, that's there's no such thing as too many pass rushers. Montez Sweat really hasn't been that great this year. Ryan Kerrigan's, Kerrigan's getting older. Chase Young is a an absolute no-brainer at number two. Easily. I mean, Kerrigan will be 32 next year, and you can get out of his deal completely free and save almost $12 million on the cap. So I think that's a no-brainer in this spot for Washington. Number three, the New York Giants. I don't think this is a Dave Gettleman pick in this spot. Right. I took Jerry Judy. I don't think that's a very Gettleman pick, a wide receiver at three. I think he wants to build this offensive line to prove everyone he was right about Daniel Jones. I can't argue with that strategy. The problem is, Matt, I don't have an O-line at three that makes sense for them here. I don't. I don't. I can't pass on Judy. Get Daniel Jones a weapon. I spent some time with Darius Slayton this weekend, who's had a really, really awesome season. He had nothing but great things to say about his rapport with Daniel Jones and what they're building over there. But I still think they could use a star-wide receiver across from him for this yeah, offense. Not a Gettleman pick. That's a that's a me pick, man. Take the receiver early. Yep. Still love Jerry Judy. Uh, he, he slipped a, down to number three overall on my board. Disagreeing with Dave Gettleman usually is a smart thing right? to do. Yeah, I'm actually hitting like a thousand in, in my little career, arguing with him. Number four, the Miami Dolphins. This is where we've had Tua Tagovailoa going forever, it seems like. But his injury opens the door for Justin Herbert to be the pick here. Again, not a quarterback that I absolutely love, but Herbert has been playing very well lately. He made a couple throws against Arizona that I they made me put my pin down, and then I remembered he was playing Arizona, and they are really, really bad, especially in the secondary. But the throws, the throw. Herbert did look really good Saturday night. I mean, he's been on a, a roll this year. The production's been fantastic. They've only lost one game. I do think that Herbert, as long as he interviews okay and handles that side of business, teams are going to fall in love with the dude that's six foot five, 240 pounds, can move, and has a really big right arm. Yeah, he's quietly starting to really, really pick it up. The only question is, can he bring that Oregon offensive line with him to Miami right. in the next two years? But number five, my New York Jets. Listen, this isn't a Joe Douglas pick, but once again, I don't give a shit because this is our mock draft and we get to do what we want. I took C.D. Lamb here. I can make the argument for Jeff Okuda and Andrew Thomas, but I feel like I make the argument for both of them every single mock draft Monday we do. So let's have some fun. Let's switch it up. I think C.D. Lamb will finish as a top five, top ten player for me in in this class it just doesn't look like they're making Robbie Anderson a focal point of this offense yeah. so they're probably going to have him walk in free agency they love Jamison Crowder there they love getting the tight ends involved Quincy and Nunwa, we don't know if he's going to play again and there's a lot of friction with the team that all those things mean one thing the Jets need a number one wide receiver that can play on the outside that's CD yeah, I like CD Lamb a lot like you said he's at number seven or eight overall on my board right now and he's he's not going to run well let's just set that expectation and and you're right it's not a Joe Douglas pick but we've seen the last two games some pretty good flashes from Sam Darnold and I think it's time to continue to build around him some of the last regime really didn't do especially with early picks but there's no offensive lineman to draft here so the next best thing You already got a running back. Get your dude a number one receiver that he can grow with on the job a little bit. Number six, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Just cut Vernon Hargraves. Let's replace him because corner is a massive need on this team. I'm taking Jeff Okuda here. Corner from Ohio State. I absolutely love Akuda. I think he's close to flawless as a prospect. You might be wondering why no quarterback here. This is one of the effects of the Tua injury. I could see Tampa giving Jameis Winston a one- to two-year deal to see if he can continue to develop underneath Bruce Arians to where they can get him to... 
you know, medium level, level starter quality and try to build a team around him. Arians has been at times very supportive of Jameis. At other times, he has said things like, well, he has to keep playing like he did for the rest of the year for us to keep to think about keeping him. So I think it's very much up in the air what Tampa does at quarterback. If they drafted one, I think Herbert fits their scheme the best. With him off the board, for me, it's Jeff Akuda. Yeah, hard to argue there. Akuda is a great player and probably at the end of the day will go earlier than sixth overall. Number seven, the Denver Broncos. I think they need a lot of help at tackle this team. They really do. They're going to have a change at quarterback next year. It's probably going to be Drew Locke's time to shine. We'll see unless they sign someone. John Elway goes through quarterbacks quicker than anyone. But for me, it's Andrew Thomas in this spot. I still have him as the top offensive lineman in this class, and I think he'd be a plug-and-play starter for Denver out there. Absolutely love that. Big need for them. The Falcons at number eight. This is a tough team to draft for, but I really like Derek Brown, the defensive lineman from Auburn. Uh, Mello and I watching him play Saturday. Connor, you get to watch him up close. The, The dude's just, he's a freak. I mean, he is so agile for how big he is. And I don't know how they're listing him at 315 pounds because he looks 330. But my goodness, he can move around and make some really, really good plays. So I like him. They, I don't know what the Falcons are going to do, where they're going to be. I mean, they're winning now. The defense looked absolutely nasty against Carolina. They're kicking ass right? now. <laughs> it's like they just needed to hit the halfway point and be like, oh, shit, we better start playing. And they have been playing really well. And they're coming together. I think if you throw a defensive tackle like Derek Brown, what they have up front with Grady Jarrett, just put those two guys together. And I don't think anyone can block them. So that's where I go here. All right, number nine, the Arizona Cardinals. Cliff Kingsbury, pretty good start to his coaching career. I know they lost a tough one to San Francisco, but at least they look capable out there. They look a lot more capable than I expected. Kyler Murray's starting to really, really turn around. He's quietly had a very nice rookie season. This is an offense that will always look for a vertical threat or even a threat that can catch those horizontal passes that you talked about earlier, Matt, where there's screens, maybe even jet sweeps, the touch passes, the pitch passes. Henry Ruggs is your guy for that. Mr. 4-2-5 kind to speed Henry Ruggs and Cliff Kingsbury's offense would be a lot of fun to watch and it's a pretty good fit at number nine not overall. fair is what that would be just find all the yep. ways they could find to get him the ball it, it would be very exciting number 10 the Detroit Lions this the board didn't fall great for them here let's be honest but I do think the right side of the line I don't think Ricky Wagner's getting the job done Tristan Wirfs from Iowa plays right tackle there I think he could play right or left in the NFL just move him right up the highway Get him in with the Detroit Lions because they need someone like this. The Lions, another team, like they're playing better than their record and trying to find like, oh gosh, they need like they really need another pass rusher. They could use, I think, a little bit of an upgrade in the secondary. None, neither of those spots for me made sense with what the way the board fell. So I'm going to go right tackle, try to solidify what they have in front of Matthew Stafford. Number 11, Jacksonville Jaguars. This is a team that has some needs in the trenches. I would more specifically look at offensive line, but with Worfs off the board there, no value here yet. I go Javon Kinlaw. He has been a beast this year. We loved having him on the show. And I just think he keeps getting better and better. I really do, to the point where he's probably going to be a top 15 pick. You look at the size, 6'6", 310, productive, already six sacks this year for an interior lineman. Kinlaw, listen, Clayus Campbell still has it, but at some point you got to think about this defensive line. I don't know what Taven Bryan is yet. I like the value of Kinlaw in this spot for Jacksonville. Yeah, I, I do as well. Number 12, the Los Angeles Chargers. 
this is where I'm going to take Tua Tungvaluwa, and here's what I think can happen. I think they can sign Philip Rivers to a one or two year deal because I don't think he's ready to quit playing, even though there's been some struggles this year. Sign Rivers to a one or two year deal, and Rivers has been not so quiet about saying he does not want to mentor someone. Well, he wouldn't have to because you put Tua on IR for 2020, let him rehab, let him learn, let him work his way back, and then 2021. Rivers can retire or go play for the Titans, get back close to where he wants to be in Alabama, and Tua can be the starting quarterback for the Chargers. Now, this is all contingent on health, and I understand the irony of giving a banged-up quarterback to a team that is tragically, chronically injured in the Los Angeles Chargers, but they need a spark there as well as a future plan at quarterback, and I think if they can slow play it with Tua, you're getting a great value at 12 overall. Yeah, they really do. That would be an awesome plan. And I actually really like that landing spot for Tua. So, all right, 13, the Cleveland Browns. Nothing changes here with the Browns. We need to fix this offensive line. We need to add pieces to this offensive line. I'm going with Trey Adams. Now, medically, Trey Adams could be a day two player when all is said and done with some of the uh, wear and tear he's had over these last couple of years. But talent-wise, a tackle as a run blocker and as a pass protector, he fits everything the Cleveland Browns need and would easily, easily be a top 15 pick yeah, here. Yeah, mauler. He's just a mauler. The Raiders at number 14. This is the pick they got from the Chicago Bears. Isaiah Simmons somehow luckily falls to this spot where he is tailor-made to play linebacker for the Oakland Raiders. He could play inside linebacker. We know how well he covers, which is a huge need for this team covering the middle of the field the Raiders are one of the hottest teams in football right now John Gruden's coaching his ass off the rookie class looks amazing throw Isaiah Simmons in the mix here with Jonathan Abram back next year and my god this defense in the middle is really really impressive that would be the perfect piece to add to their defense, especially to get more speed. 15, the Philadelphia Eagles. Speaking of a team that needs more speed on defense, I got a little more uh, pass rush juice, and he can run pretty well for a big guy here on the defensive line. Yitor Gross-Matos, he has been phenomenal this year. Uh, really just long, strong, plays the run really well. If you watched him against Indiana this weekend, you saw he had yet another sack. Uh, he really does it all. Super high-character player that would fit with how he looking for here. So Utah Gross Matos, number 15, they're going to have to get a little younger on the edge uh, of their defensive line soon. And I think he would be the guy for that. Last pick in the first half of the draft, number 16, the Miami Dolphins. This is from the Pittsburgh Steelers from Minka Fitzpatrick. I'm on AJ Epinesa here. They need an outside pass rusher. Put him next to Christian Wilkins and you have Two dynamic defensive linemen that you can build around. Epinesa can kick inside on third downs. The last several weeks, he's been playing exceptional football as Iowa has gotten rolling, beating Penn State on Saturday, a big day for the Hawkeyes. But, man, I, I just love what Epinesa has brought to the table as a pass rusher. 6'6", 280. He brings versatility, length. He's got it all. We are back, Connor. You are back on the clock. Number 17, the Tennessee Titans. Take it away. All right, really no surprise here. I think the Titans are a team that quarterback is going to follow the conversation with them this entire draft cycle. I'm going with Jacob Eason. Big arm, has some turnover problems at times. He's almost the anti-Mariota in this spot. I think the Titans will be looking for a big play kind of guy. And Eason, while he still needs some developing to do, and it's going to be a question of if he does declare after all of this, I think Tennessee would be willing to take the gamble in the second half of this first round. Yeah, I Eason is tough because it does feel like he plays poorly in big games. I know he doesn't have the mo the most help around him, but I like the traits that are there. Number 18, the Carolina Panthers. No quarterbacks here to draft. I do think they would consider it with Cam Newton likely gone. Kyle Allen struggled big time on Sunday. So the Panthers, where do they go? 
C.J. Henderson fits what I believe they want to do at the corner position. He's physical. He has good size. This is an on-paper need for them. Henderson is someone I like. I would go safety here, but Grant Delpit has disappointed me so much this year that I can't justify drafting him this early. So Henderson instead at corner. Uh, James Bradbury is going to be a free agent. be interesting to see what the Panthers' corners look like next year. Well, at 19 for the Raiders, I am going to take from that LSU secondary, but it is not going to be Grant Delpit. It's going to be his teammate, Christian Fulton. The Raiders definitely need some more punch at corner. You got them Isaiah Simmons a couple picks before this, Matt. So if they get Simmons and Fulton, They can cover tight ends. They can cover running backs. They can cover wide receivers. They can run with anyone and play with a little attitude while doing it. So adding those two guys would be a significant boost to this Raiders defense. Yeah, the defense looks uh, a little different after this draft, which is what they need. Number 20, the Jacksonville Jaguars. This pick from the L.A. Rams. And I don't know that the draft could fall worse for a team, just to be completely honest. I, I, I don't know where you go at this point. This is a reach. I just want to be clear of that, but it's a need. And I think if you're going to reach at a position, offensive tackle is a good one, especially if you're reaching on traits. And Austin Jackson has good athleticism, good length. He's physical. He plays with a mean streak. He does need to develop a little bit. And the USC offense has at times looked really good, and he's flourished. At times, they look really bad. Uh, So having good offensive guards next to him will be key. But I think Austin Jackson has a future as a left tackle in the NFL. And that is a big need for Jacksonville with Cam Robinson just looking like he doesn't belong out on the edge anymore. 21 Dallas Cowboys. You know, they're going to need some help in the secondary this offseason. And I went with someone that his stock has dropped almost as much as anyone this year. And that's Grant Delpit because he's simply not tackling anyone. Now, Matt, you made the point that you saw Derwin James do this at times in his final season in college. I think Delpit is a better player than what he's showing this year at LSU. And I think if anyone can get the best version of Grant Delpit, it's the Dallas Cowboys and this defensive staff. I really, really do. Where you might take him at 21 here if you're Dallas and end up getting a top 10 player in this draft. I still like Grant Delpit. There is no secret his stock has fallen, and he's got to get better. But I just think he's not leaving it all out on the field this year. Yep, that's exactly how it looks to me. Like, and I like you said, I've said it about Darwin James when he came back from that injury. It's like, oh man, he might be saving himself a little bit. But he turned it on later in the year. We're still waiting for Grant Delpit to do that to turn on later in the He's year. Got some big games to do that in too. Yeah, huge games. So God, please, Grant, just wrap up, tackle somebody, buddy. Number twenty-two, the Indianapolis Colts. We're on a little bit of an LSU run here. They need youth on the outside. I like Kamoko Ture. I think he has a bright future, but they need more pass rushers. Caleb on Chason, we've seen in a couple games, Alabama, Florida. He had his best games against big teams. I think he's coming back from injury. The rust is falling off. We're starting to see him play up to the caliber that we expect. We talked to Jacob Hester about him several weeks ago, or one week ago. Gosh, that was a long week. And <laughs> everyone loves Chason. They do expect he's going to come out even as a redshirt sophomore, rocking that number 18. But I like Chason a lot. I think he's going to test well. I think he's going to interview well. And knowing Chris Ballard like we do, he really fits what they would like to have for the Indianapolis Colts. 23, Kansas City Chiefs. This is a defense that really, really needs to figure out how to stop the run. I think they need to figure out a lot of things because if you can make this an average unit, this team will have a Super Bowl shot every year with Pat Mahomes at quarterback. I went with Dylan Moses, and this is another case of a team in the second half of the draft, in the second half of the first round, capitalizing on a great prospect falling for different reasons. And for Moses, said he didn't play this year. He got hurt. He's expected to recover. He's expected to be back. I think if you're the Chiefs, this is the gamble that you take because you can get a star player in Moses this late in the draft. 
Yeah, I mean, this is such such a need for them. Interior offensive line will be as well. Free agency is going to be fascinating for this team, where they decide to spend their resources. Number 24, the Minnesota Vikings. Xavier Rhodes got abused in the first half on Sunday. I think we're going to see a big change at corner for the Minnesota Vikings this offseason. Paul Sanadibo can start that. A player we're going to see Saturday against Cal. He has ball skills. I mean, last year, led college football and passes defense. He has size. Adebo is close to the total package. I just need to see how well he's going to run before I completely hitch my wagon to him as a prospect. But on paper, everything is there that you want. He checks a lot of boxes for me, and he would fit that Vikings defense. Yeah, it's crazy to see Rhodes at 29 fall off a cliff like he has, and they still owe him some guaranteed money, so that's going to be a very interesting decision at the end of the year. 25 Miami Dolphins, you got yourself... A pretty good draft here. You got yourself a quarterback, uh, AJ Epinesa to rush the passer. Now you go with Devonta Smith. This might be the best value pick at this point of the draft because I think Devonta Smith has the chance to be an upper tier wide receiver. A great fit in Miami with speed, reliable hands. Somebody like Chris Greer and Brian Flores, they'll really like the mental makeup of a player like Smith. So this is a no brainer for me at 25. And we gave him a quarterback earlier. Now you give him a playmaker because they drafted and they've tried to throw assets at receivers and it just hasn't happened. So this is a big need for them. Number 26, the Buffalo Bills. T. Higgins, they need a receiver who can extend his catch radius, help Josh Allen out a little bit. That's what T. Higgins does the best. He has long arms, good size. He's been overshadowed a little bit. And I think Clemson is now being slept on and it's a little bit criminal because this team is playing really well. T. Higgins is a huge part of that. The Bills, I mean, it's almost like in black and white. They have to draft a receiver in the first round. T. Higgins, the best on the board since you just stole Devonta Smith. Yeah, I had to do that to you. Sorry. It's just uh, the way it goes when we get to this point in the draft. It's every man for themselves. 27, the Green Bay Packers. We've said it a lot on Mock Draft Monday. This is a team that would like to get younger on the offensive line. Now, when you look at Elton Jenkins, he's been phenomenal this year. One of the best rookies in the NFL this year. But he's only one man. It's as simple as that. I went with someone that could probably play tackle and guard, and that's Trey Smith from Tennessee. And this team has changed their identity. They are not an Aaron Rodgers draft. Drop back and throw the ball 55 times a right. game anymore. They are Aaron Jones. Feed him. Jamal Williams. Feed him. You get Trey Smith. You can run behind him all day, every day. This would be a slam dunk for a very tough, nasty Packers team. Completely different identity. It's fascinating. The Seattle Seahawks are up next. Javon Clowney will be a free agent. Ezekiel Anza will be a free agent. One or both could be back, but they need to address the defensive end position even after drafting LJ Collier in the first round last year. This is where I think they could get a speed rusher in Terrell Lewis who has great size, six foot five, 255 pounds with a frame to add even more weight. He reminds me a lot of Frank Clark at Michigan in terms of what type of player he is. We know they liked Frank Clark a lot in Seattle before he was traded to Kansas City. This is a scheme fit that works so well, in my opinion. So if Terrell Lewis, again, medicals will be big for him, like we've said with a couple guys, because he's been banged up at Bama. But as long as he checks all the boxes medically, I think Terrell Lewis could be a steal at 28. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just ridiculous what they have on that front over there. 29, the Baltimore Ravens. We made this pick in the last mock draft Monday, but me and Matt, when we were planning before the show, we're like, there's nowhere else for them to go. They're playing too good right now to even find it. So Kenneth Murray, get a little speed at linebacker, somebody that could probably play every linebacker position. This Baltimore defense is well coached. They are fun to watch. They are talented in the secondary. They are getting the most out of everyone up front. You know what Lamar Jackson and Mark Ingram can do for that offense. So Kenneth Murray, just add another piece in that front seven. 
They've had a lot of success with Oklahoma players there as well. You know, my fear is, though, that they'll draft DeAndre Swift and no one will ever be able to stop them offensively. Oh, my God. Like, That'd be ridiculous. Right, like Mark Ingram's playing really well. He looks fresh. But, God, if they got DeAndre Swift, uh, yeah, that would suck. All right, number 30, the New Orleans Saints. Mike Thomas is going to catch 160 passes this year, which is amazing. I'm very happy for Mike. But they need someone else in this offense <laughs> to, to help work. out. Yeah. Like, whoever, if it's Drew Brees, Jake Fromm, Teddy Bridgewater, whoever's a quarterback next year, they're going to need someone more to throw to other than Traquan Smith. So I'm going to give them LaVisca Shaynault. I'm just having fun daydreaming about all the ways that Sean Payton and Pete Carmichael and the crew there can incorporate LaVisca Shaynault into this offense. Look what they do with Ted Ginn. Shaynault's like a 22-year-old thicker version of Ted Ginn. So it, it would just be like, this is one of those Madden moves you pull off and you're like, I'm just going to line you up a running back in the slot out wide. Hell, you might play tight end a couple times a game. We're just going to have fun with you offensively, look for matchups. And that's what they do so well in New Orleans. So maybe a little bit of a luxury pick, but I think wide receiver two is a big need here. Shit. Look what they do at Taysom Hill. I mean, if you think that, if that guy can catch touchdowns, the right? Chanel could do anything over there. Right. 31 New England Patriots, once again, another repeat pick, but I'm just in love with the fit. And if you watch this New England team, I know they're winning. They're constantly winning. They lost one game this year. They're just not getting a ton from the tight end position. They're really not. And you can see Tom Brady misses that. Hunter Bryant, compare him to Evan Ingram. I mean, he's a hybrid tight end. He plays with great speed. He's great after the catch. You can move him around. I think this would be the perfect landing spot for him, but also just a great get for the Patriots and somebody they would know how to turn into a near 1,000-yard kind of player at that position. Yeah, he's an athlete for sure. It's going to be fun to watch him uh, over the course of the process. Last pick, number 32, the San Francisco 49ers. They need safety help. Xavier McKinney from Alabama falls right into the laps here. He could play free safety right away. I know John Lynch has not like straight come out and said that he doesn't value the safety position, but it seems like they have not evaluated it as an early selection. I think we see that change if Xavier McKinney's on the board. All right, Matt had to run, but we are still going to knock out Draft on Draft here. A little solo edition of Draft on Draft here in this first one from Garrett Greenlee. The Bengals haven't won a game since Marvin Lewis was fired. So are we really sure they should have fired him? So, number one, yes, it was time to move on from Marvin Lewis. I think the problem is a, a lot of people need to realize that, one, this franchise really needed to reset And I don't know if Zach Taylor was the right guy for the job. And when I say that, I mean, I truly don't know. It's going to take a while to figure that out because this is a roster that needs to be overturned. As we always say on the show, the Bengals scouting department is one of the smaller ones in the NFL where the coach has such a big influence over the picks. Marvin Lewis was picking the players for many, many years there where, and I I hate using that excuse as, oh, well, it wasn't his roster. But Zach Taylor's got to get some players in there. He's got to get his franchise quarterback. Listen, it was an interesting hire. It was a bold hire. It it seemed like it came out of nowhere. But that doesn't mean that firing Marvin Lewis was a mistake because this is a team that was shredding water for years, year after year after year. So I think when you look at the situation, willing to take a risk to move on for a bigger ceiling is always worth it. it. You know, it just always comes down to being worth it. Now, if you made the wrong choice, you made the wrong choice, and you try again. But I don't think this Bengals team would have ever won a Super Bowl or made it far in the playoffs with Marvin Lewis, and it was simply the perfect time to move on. But it's a great point. At some point, Zach Taylor's got to win some football games. It doesn't matter. You have to. They didn't expect to 
to have this kind of season this year. It is, without a doubt, a disappointment. He won't be a one-and-done. That would shock me. The Bengals are often a cheap team anyway. But I think when you look at it, he's it's, it's got to be put up or shut up, and you have to win some football games. You can't Hugh Jackson this thing over in Cincinnati. All right, number two here on the draft on draft list from Jacob DeLong. Who's had the best draft class so far this season? My vote is definitely Oakland. Cleveland Farrell starting to come on. Josh Jacobs is probably offensive rookie of the year. Max Crosby is a beast, and Moreau and Renfro look great. It's a shame that Abram got hurt week one, uh, game one. And it's hard to disagree in terms of overall impact of the depth of the class. When you look at Oakland, I was actually shocked when so many people, I remember after round one, did not like the Oakland class. And I think it was either me or Matt or both of us picked them as a winner at the end of the Bleacher Report draft coverage when we shoot our videos for the Bleacher Report app. And you go on Twitter, it's been a long night, you haven't seen anyone's reactions, and, and people were just did not like a lot of the picks from Oakland. And I think where they were wrong was they took high-character, instant-impact players that fit the system. And I know Farrell, a lot of people were disappointed at his start. He's looked a lot better lately, and he'll be a really good player for a long time. Josh Jacobs has the chance to be one of the best running backs in the league for a while. Now, taking a first-round running back is always controversial but at least they hit on the player where he's been a star for them so far and once again when you look at Jonathan Abram you know he would have been a great player this year it's a shame he got hurt now the injuries were a problem in college where you could sit there and say it probably was a little early to take him there because you have those injury risks but he'll come back strong he'll be ready to go but the value is where I really look at why this class is a winner you know, anybody could have taken Cleveland Farrell in the top 10. Anyone could have taken Jonathan Abram or Josh Jacobs in round one because those guys weren't round one locks necessarily. They were good players, but they weren't locks where you're sweating that they'd be off the board. But where they really win here is the value they've gotten in this class with Crosby being a later round pick, Foster Moreau being a later round pick, Hunter Renfro. Everybody loved Hunter Renfro, and then he sits on the board for hours, for days. So. I think Oakland's done a really good job. Mike Mayock's done a really good job because John Gruden was clearly struggling as a drafter without Mike Mayock. He needed someone in there that can handle the personnel side of things. And I think it's going to make teams reevaluate their hiring process in the scouting department where you don't need to just go through traditional scouts over and over again. Mike Mayock did not have experience doing this in an NFL front office before taking this GM job. And he's thrived. He really has thrived, and it's going to be very interesting to see if this opens the door for more media personalities, maybe analytics people, to really get into higher decision-making level jobs. All right, next up from Roman Tomasoff, is it time for the Vikings to move on from Xavier Rhodes? If they do, would it be better for them to draft someone early or try to patch that hole in free agency? So during the mock draft, Matt did a really good job covering this. To answer your question quite simply, the answer is yes, they need to. And the draft pick at 24, since it was later in the round, a lot of the top corners are gone, was Paulson Adebo from Stanford, somebody that we're going to get to see up close and personal this weekend against Cal, which will be really fun. I think when you look at Rhodes, it's fascinating to see a guy fall off a cliff like this at age 29. Now, you look at the contract, they're not out free next year. They could still cut him. If they want, when you look at the breakdown, they'll save $8.1 million if they cut them. They'll, have, they'll be on the hook for almost $5 million in dead money next year. And they'd even have some dead money if they kept them and cut them in 2021. So 
it's going to cost them a little bit, but the savings they get in return might be worth it because Rhodes is just, I mean, he's really fallen off. It's crazy when you see this kind of play, and it's almost the Achilles heel of this Vikings defense that it has been a top unit for a while now. And for Rhodes, who was drafted in 2013, you thought that, you know, usually corners fall off that cliff on the wrong side of 30. So this is a little early for him. And it's not like he was a guy with a slow 40. I mean, he ran a 4-4-3 at the combine. So, you know, some of these corners that you saw it with Tremaine Johnson, Tremaine Johnson was a 4-6, a 4-6 kind of runner, maybe even a little slower coming out of college. And he had some good years, but he fell off a cliff really early because he doesn't trust his legs anymore. With Rhodes, it's just shocking to see it come down to this. And for the Vikings, it's going to make for a tough decision, but it is clearly a group, a position group that they have to upgrade. All right, last one for draft on draft of the day. Thomas Burton, who is the best talent developer in college? Which coach do you trust the most? to have his players ready for the NFL. Nick Saban, uh, you know, for Dabo, you could list on and on. I think we could all talk about those guys, and we could talk about Ohio State. The job that they do with their defensive linemen every year is A1. Ryan Day is great with quarterbacks. Lincoln Riley is great with quarterbacks. Those schools get the most out of their running backs, wide receivers, even their offensive linemen. Alabama develops NFL players. LSU develops NFL players nonstop. Same with Clemson. I think where it gets lost is somebody like Chris Peterson at Washington, when you look at what he does with his defensive backs group every year, is really special. And Washington is a team that they have offensive linemen that will go into the NFL this year. They have a tight end that will go into the NFL this year. They have a quarterback that will probably go into the NFL this year if he wants to. A couple defensive backs. They always have good defensive linemen, good linebackers. I think Washington quietly has become an NFL talent developing pool. All those coaches, and, and, and Peterson has been doing this for a while. I mean, he was doing it before Washington. That's what's special about him and his assistants. But all those top schools, it's a no-brainer that they're the best at it. But I think you're looking for the underrated groups. That's definitely one. Obviously, Penn State puts players into the NFL You know, it's Oklahoma, though, is the one where you look at somebody doing it at a rate of what are they when they get to the university versus what are they when they go into the draft? That's the most impressive one to me because Lincoln Riley will take what are considered failures. Baker Mayfield had to transfer because he wasn't wanted anymore. Kyler Murray couldn't win a starting job places and wasn't wanted anymore. And what goes to OU, Baker goes to OU. Those guys become number one overall picks. Now you see Jalen Hurts. Alabama wanted him to play running back. And Jalen Hurts coming into the season was maybe he gets drafted as a day three quarterback or switches positions. Now the conversation around Jalen Hurts is he'll probably go round two as a quarterback. Not even not even a question of is does he have to switch positions. He'll play quarterback. So I think what it goes by position by position, school by school, and a difference of how much developing they're doing. But what Lincoln can do from when he gets a player from the first month they're on campus to the end of their first season is truly incredible. It really is. And that's why he's he's one of those guys that the NFL is going to come calling. If he wants to, we'll see if he leaves. If not, Oklahoma's going to have to pay him 
a truckload of money. All right, that's our show today. Hope everyone enjoyed the mock draft. As always, give us our feedback of our picks. If you loved it, if you hate it, reminder, this weekend we will be at Stanford for the Cal game. Uh, Matt has posted everything. I've posted everything. It's on the Stick to Football account. The map of where we'll be at in the tailgate section with the tailgate guys. It's going to be a blast. You don't want to miss it. And we'll catch you guys for the midweek show on Wednesday. 